0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me on this Thanksgiving Eve for a little bit of a mixed bag show. There will not be any vaping to- topics tonight except one quick mention, just kind of a follow-up from last week. I've uh, been getting some inquiries as to how Vince's court date went. If you missed last week, Vince was making a final push to get some funding that he needed to get the time uh, the time in with his lawyers to sufficiently uh, prepare for his case which was heard on Monday. What I got is some feedback from Vince uh, that he was um, really—I uh, mean, he was really positive. I mean, he, he thought it went great. Um, obviously, uh, Vince is an optimist, <laughs> to, to, to say the least. To even you know take on this battle the way that he has, literally, he's like the one guy standing between vaping becoming illegal in Australia. He's the only guy who can do it, and. He's, you know, sacrificed just about everything, his family, his, his, his wealth, I mean, everything. Anyway, he was in a great mood after the, the case was heard. Um, it was a one-day thing. Now the court has, you know, the court can take really as much time as they want to render a verdict uh, that's likely to be, you know, two to four, two to six weeks, something like that. So obviously the first I hear, I'll share with you what the case, uh, the the decision was and we wish him the best. Uh, what a guy. Okay, so like I said, no vaping topics tonight. I just want to do, uh, I've had all these news stories because I took that extended break from doing the show. But I still have this, uh, you know, this this uh, this place I put all, you know, I see a, a news story and I put it in a, in an email account that, you know, I don't use to send anything. I just I, I basically use it as a folder for all of the topics that might be interesting on my show. And I noticed I got, I, well, eh, I definitely got enough of those to do a show. So that's what we're going to do. We're gonna do kind of like a news roundup, and uh, yeah. Before we get to that, Thanksgiving, I'm lo- I'm so looking forward to because it it's the best holiday of the year. All right, almost you know more uh, just about more than just about any other. I mean, most people are off. Majority of those people, you know, are getting a four day weekend, so it's just a great time. You see old friends, you see your family. I'll be driving up uh, to see mom and dad, and I cannot wait now. My mom's pretty good at making uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving uh, dinner, so I got it all. I already got it all planned out. I mean, first of all, my, my mom knows I don't eat the white meat because it's disgusting, so I only eat the dark meat. So I get some some thighs, some legs, you know, whatever. Back, if there's any gizzards, I'll take those too. So I get those and I get those all situated on my plate. That's what I do first. Okay, so I got all the dark meat there. Then I take some stuffing. My mom makes good stuffing. A lot of people. They make, they just try, they're going too far with the stuffing. They're putting fucking cranberries in it and walnuts and God knows what else. Listen, you want a little, just a little bit more consistency, a little more, uh, just a little more, you know, a little, a a little, uh, a little texture in your, in your uh, stuffing. You can put some celery in, but that's it. No nuts, no weird fruits. Stuffing should be, you know. Basically, bread and, and and butter. I don't really know how to make stuffing, to be honest with you. But I know how not to make it. You don't put all this nonsense in your stuffing. You have a simple, fatty, bready, sloth. Okay. So I got the I got the dark meat there. Then I put the uh, I put the stuffing next to it, and then I make uh I take the 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 stuffing, and I kind of like uh I make it into like a mound, but then I I scoop out you know the middle of a mound of the mound and then i take the gravy and i pour it into the little receptacle that i made in the stuffing now that will slowly seep out into the rest of the stuffing it'll it'll be very slowly so while i wait for that to happen well hold on i'll get to that in a minute so then my mom makes some great vegetables too usually like some cheesy broccoli or some asparagus i love asparagus uh, it's my favorite so like broccoli, asparagus, maybe some other stuff, uh, green beans sometimes. And it's, you know, it's cheesy and it's good. And I I put that, that kind of just stays separate on its own, on the other side of the plate. Okay. Uh, cranberry sauce is for assholes. I don't understand how it became a tradition. It's stupid and has no place in the meal. Uh, I think my mom usually makes some or whatever, but I don't eat it because you know, cranberry, cranberry sauce is just... It's, Stupid! It's for assholes. So, what else? Well, there's you know yummy desserts and everything after that. But so then what I do is I take the I take the dark turkey meat, take that off the bones, and now you remember I have my little mound of of, uh, of uh, stuffing that I've kind of hollowed out a little bit, and I put the I, I pour some turkey in there. So I basically use that. I take the turkey and I dip it into the stuffing receptacle of gravy. So that's how I get the the, the gravy on the uh, on the turkey, and you know in, inevitably you know pieces of the stuffing come off onto it. So now you got a you got a nice piece of dark meat, it's got gravy on it, and you can kind of like just just sh- shove some shove some of the stuffing onto it, and then that'll just stick on the dark meat, and that's a yummy mouthful. It's delicious. Now if you you know give it you know five ten minutes, a lot of that stuff a lot of that gravy is gonna seep into the rest of the stuffing. So now you got this. This delicious mound of, of bready gravy goodness. And that is probably my favorite thing. Just the stuffing. If, if Thanksgiving was just stuffing and gravy, that's fine. I don't need anything else. But I'm happy to get the dark meat turkey. And then the uh, the, the vegetables and whatnot, I, uh, I nibble on the side. That's pretty good. Now, I have a, a special treat for dessert. A friend of mine, um, she's a... She, she comes She comes by the bar. She's, She's. Uh, I don't know if she's married to or she's dating one of the bartenders. I think they live together. Anyway, like a week ago, she asked me, she's like, what's your favorite? Um, what's your favorite? Because she's a baker. You know, she bakes treats. She's always bringing treats for everybody. It's great. And she asked me, you know, what's your favorite uh, thing? And I told her how my, my, my grandmother on my father's side, she was a master, master at baking. I mean, just absolutely world-class baking. Um, and I told her about a, uh, a a treat that she used to make called Scotcheroos. And I just basically described them to her. It's it's, it's like a rice crispy treat bottom, but it's got butterscotch and caramel and peanut butter mixed in with the rice crispy treat. okay, so that makes like a, a loaf, kind of a loaf at the bottom. And on the top, it's like a semi-sweet chocolate with uh, butterscotch chips. So you take the semi-sweet chocolate chips and the butterscotch chips and you melt, melt those down and then you put that across the top and that's almost like a crust so it's almost like a meatloaf, except instead of uh the mass being meat it's rice crispy treats with all that other stuff in it and instead of the the way my grandma used to make the the meat was uh, she'd put a crust of bacon on it so instead of the crust of bacon it's a crust of semi-sweet chocolate with butterscotch and so I just told her this and she she shows up one day. She's got the scotcheroos. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I got those. I sent those down to my parents because you know I haven't had a scotcheroo in 20 years since since my grandma you know, used to make them. Uh so I got that special. It's gonna be a great Thanksgiving. Um I, I can't wait. It's just I'm gonna save up superson an appetite and football. That's the greatest thing the NFL has done. Make three games on Thanksgiving. That's fantastic. The only thing is my parents hate football they frankly despise it and I love football and I got I'm I'm doing fantasy I'm kicking ass taking names this year my team's nine and one I'm ruthlessly taunting all of my opponents they hate me the whole team when I when I lost for the first I, I was eight and0 uh, No, I was nine and0 when I when I when I finally lost the game they had a, a huge celebration which you know that's fine but I'm t- I'm kicking ass. I'm taking names. I got Calvin Johnson and Stafford in the in the early game. I think I got uh, I only got a couple other players. I got uh, Antonio Brown. Unfortunately, I have to start Heath Miller this week. I'm running two tight ends this week. Anyway, it's just going to be fantastic. Thanksgiving. What a holiday. What it's just fucking America. Hell yeah. So I hope you all enjoy. double. I was talking to kevin before the show tonight and just yeah you know, i'm saying, just saying yeah i got the time to do a show and i didn't do one last night And i'm just i'm like you know what's going what's going on what's what's out there and you know of all the things for kevin to bring up he actually brought up uh the the latest uh latest case this the this uh teenager and a 17 year old 17 year old was uh shot 16 times by a Chicago police officer a year ago. Now, you know, I'm usually I I bug bug Kevin to to come up with, like, you know, vaping topics because I'm much less in tune to what's going on in the world than he is. So that's what I was expecting, but he brought that up. And he's like, have you seen that yet? And I actually said no because I had heard about the story, and I have heard that, you know, the video is just incredibly graphic. And I just... I just didn't want to watch it. But, then, you know, when Kevin brought it up and he's like, you know, Russ, I know you cover these stories all the time. And a lot of the times I see him and he's like, eh, I don't know. You know, the guy shouldn't have been doing this or that. He's like, but this one, oh my God. He's like, I've never seen anything like this before. So for him to say that, I said, all right, I got to finally I, I've been really just procrastinating from viewing that story because I know it's probably extremely depressing. And it really is. He's right. It's the it's the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. So there's this, uh, The basically there's this kid's walking down the street. Listen, not all the details are out. Was he probably up to no good? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there were definitely some calls, and you can even see in the video, you know, some, some people pointing the cops. Like, he's over there, he's over there. So anyway, there's this guy, he's walking down the street, and yes, he does have a knife in his hand. Um, whether or not that's even illegal, I don't know. I suppose it varies city by city and state by state. Uh, I know certainly in some places having a knife that size, which is which was quite small, is probably completely legal. In other places like Chicago, probably not. Is it ever a good idea? Probably not. Was it illegal? I don't know. Doesn't really matter. Was the kid up to no good? Probably. A lot of 17-year-olds are up to no good. Anyway, so what happens is the cops get there, and you know, one of the cops who got there drives up, and six seconds after he gets out of his car... You know, the, the, the kid, yeah, yeah. he's he's definitely in the middle of the street and he's got a knife, but he made no threatening gestures whatsoever towards the cop. He's just standing there with his arms at his sides. He's got a knife. So the cop shoots him once. The kid, you know, spins around, falls on the ground, and he's he's on the ground. He was shot. From there, um, for the next at least 30 seconds, the cop, you know, the, the kid... All right, so let's talk about the first shot. Um, excessive? Definitely. Definitely. You can't possibly, after getting out six seconds, you're, you're six seconds out of your car, you cannot make a reasonable claim that you have tried your best to use non-lethal force to get the kid to comply, to, you know, lie on the ground, which is what should happen. Um, just six seconds? No. I, I mean, what, what can you communicate? In, what kind of an exchange can you have in six seconds? That's going to lead to shooting other than, you know, the kid doing something, a violent gesture or or, or something, you know, kid was just standing there. So the first shot justified. No, that said. Fine, it happened. Maybe it was, you know, you you could say a lot of things to try to defend the cop and, and maybe I'd agree with some of those points. But once you have shot the kid and he is lying down on the ground, he then proceeds to empty his entire magazine into the kid while he's on the ground. Uh, I believe the kid was ultimately shot 16 times. Uh, Not surprisingly, he didn't survive. Now, that was a year ago. Okay, so in the year since this has happened, you know, all of this was recorded on the police dash cam. So they they have seen this video. They knew exactly what the contents were obviously there you know any incident that d- that results in the death of a civilian the internal affairs division is going to get involved and do an investigation so all that was happening and of course it's been a year now the video i believe was result was released uh, today or yesterday something like that maybe the day before at the most something like that it was this week it was released now now the second that the video was released the cop was arrested and booked on murder charges now, the, now the, 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 the cops did not release the video willingly. It was only after a reporter filed a Freedom of Information Act that actually led to the video being released. They were doing everything they could to keep it, you know, private. Now, in the unlikely event that they won that lawsuit, you know, the guy actually had to sue them to, to get the, the video released. So it's been a year. They've all, all the, the cops, internal affairs, city officials, they've all seen the video. During that time, the cop's still on the job. I don't know if he's got a badge and a gun on the street, but he's certainly getting paid. He's certainly coming to work. All that time, no charges. So let me ask you, if they somehow, in the unlikely event, that they won that suit, or in the much more likely event, which I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't do, they actually destroyed the the dash cam footage, which they've done many, many times before. So if one of those two things had happened you think this guy would have ever gotten arrested? Of course not. There was a, this is, there. there's no better example. Now, here, here we have, I think everyone can agree that this guy, Van Dyke was his name. This is a bad cop, right? Everyone agrees that nobody who is lying on the ground, who has already taken a bullet, there is no situation where emptying another 15 bullets into the kid is a good idea. This is murder. There is no rationalization for this whatsoever. Like, he's already been shot. He's on the ground. He's barely moving, although you can tell in the video he's alive. I mean, what are you looking to accomplish here? I mean, at that point that he's been he's been shot. You At that point, you restrain him, check him for weapons, and get him to the hospital. You do not put another 15 bullets into him. So what's remarkable is not that there was a bad cop who did this. In fact, this cop has a history of uh, more than 20, or I believe at least 20, misconduct claims against them. So, of course, this is a classic example of a bad cop who's known to be a bad cop, who the police force uh, protects and keeps him on the keeps him on the force, keeps him on the streets. But they knew all along he was a bad cop. But of those 20 misconduct claims that were filed against them, how many times was he disciplined? Of course, zero. And then finally, when there is black and white evidence, just, just clear-cut evidence that this guy murdered someone in cold blood, what do they do? They protect him. Why? Why? Why do the? I guess they really thought they were going to be able to suppress the the video evidence. But now, I mean, you got to look at the flip side. What if it does get out? You now you've all been exposed. You've all been exposed as of somebody protecting a murderer, a murderer. Where? Show me a good cop in this situation, because. He couldn't cover this up on himself. He got the entire internal affairs division looking at this, going over the video. They've all seen it. You've got his superior, his superior superior, the chief of police. You've got at least a dozen other uh, other cops. At least that's being... So you've got dozens of people who have seen this and all of them worked together to keep the evidence suppressed and none of them suggested... The, any kind of action to show this to the district attorney or or anything like that to to prosecute this guy on something now granted i understand that it's really scary for a cop to come out and cross that thin blue line and turn in one of his one of his uh one of his what do you want to call it one of his coworkers whatever one of his fellow officers because we've seen in the past when that thing happens their life gets ruined but it you, you don't even have to do that. I mean all he re- all any cop who has access to this recording is to put a little hidden video camera on his, on his thing or, or, or have his phone or you know just get in there when no one else is in there. Play the footage, record it on your phone or your camcorder or whatever, and then leak it to the press anonymously. Out of the dozens of people who did this and who clearly saw that we have a fucking psychopath, a murderer, amongst your co-workers, not one of them even took that route to just anonymously send it to a reporter, which would have, you know, sure, it's against the rules and everything, but shouldn't it also be against the rules to protect a murderer? I mean, now they've all been exposed. Now it's it's so clear they spent a year doing everything they could to protect a cold-blooded murderer, a kid killer. On top of that, so yeah, I wouldn't even. I you know, I wouldn't have covered the story if Kevin didn't bring it up. So, thank you, Kevin. Let me uh, let me give you a couple links on that one. Here's the uh, obviously the story about the cop actually being charged with murder, and then the uh, the record of this guy. Just being a bad, you know, bad cop. Twenty minutes. You know, you, you saw this. You could have seen this coming. So it's a, a, there's a paper trail behind this guy being a bad cop. So let me do one more. We'll do. A, I'll do a couple more stories about bad cops. Then we'll have a good cop. And we'll have a great cop. Actually, this guy's fantastic. Um another instance of uh, cops being charged with murder you know it's almost not it's almost not a headline anymore these days you, i mean it is but i mean it's not as shocking as it used to be now you hear cops charged with murder i mean it's people aren't just aren't that surprised anymore now here's one um uh, you actually on this one here let me play the uh let me play the news story first. Now you see what's going to happen here. Is this stupid website's going to try to play shit and I have to stop it. Okay. So let me play the uh let me play the news story here. 6-year-old. Two, two uh two cops, one a lieutenant, of all things. Killed a 6-year-old boy.
1: In killing a 6-year-old boy, but questions remain about what led to that shooting tragic story playing out in Louisiana tonight, where two police officers have been arrested and charged with murder after allegedly firing at a car this week and killing a six-year-old boy. But questions remain about what led to that shooting. We get details tonight from NBC's Gabe Gutierrez. He was buckled into the front seat of his father's SUV, shot five times and killed after a police chase in central Louisiana Tuesday night.
2: Jeremy Morris, six years old. He didn't
1: deserve to die. Officers Derek Stafford and Norris Greenhouse Jr. have been arrested and are now facing charges of second-degree murder and attempted murder. The boy's father, Chris Few, was critically injured during the shooting. Video from an officer's body camera has not been released publicly, but the head of the Louisiana State Police says it led to the arrests. I'm
2: gonna tell you this. It is the most disturbing thing I've seen. Leave it at that. And- I just
0: you want you're gonna to want to hear that again. Um, that was the the cop that's in charge of the the whole police force there and wherever in Louisiana. This is listen l- listen once again. This is the this is their boss.
1: Listen to what he said. He says it led to the arrests. I'm
2: gonna tell you this. It is the most disturbing thing I've seen.
0: That. Nor- Contrast that to the Chicago PD, who basically had a, a huge conspiracy. Obviously, this is this is one of those. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is a fact. They had a huge conspiracy to protect a murderer. Contrast that with this: a good cop. Say he, you know, the, the footage wasn't even released yet, and he said, "This is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen."
1: Harrison Greenhouse worked for the Marksville Police Department, but that night, they'd been working side jobs for the city marshal's office. Investigators won't reveal exactly what led to the pursuit or what triggered the shooting. Initially, the local coroner had said the officers had been serving a warrant, but state police now say that wasn't the case. There was no exchange of gunfire, they say, and no weapon was found inside Fuse SUV. Two other officers were involved in the chase. Authorities declined to say whether there may be more arrests. Tonight, the investigation continues into how a six-year-old ended up in the line of fire. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC
0: News. So what, what's not in the story, I guess you'd have to read the article, and there's other articles about this, which I'll, I'll post for you, is you know the way these two cops completely fabricated everything in their report uh, they just made up lies and the, 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 they released information about this guy that just wasn't true, that there were warrants, that he had a weapon, all that. They just made up all these lies. And, you know, when that that's the first thing that comes out, That the, then there's local media, you know, you know, they couldn't they didn't kill him, but they tried to kill his reputation and, so, you know, basically blame this all on him. There was no warrant. There was no chase. And these guys were moonlighting. They were moonlighting for the city marshals. They have no jurisdiction where they were, unless they actually had a warrant to be served. They're, 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 other than that, they're, they're supposed to just patrol the area of the the city courthouse or whatever municipality that they're they're tasked with. They had no authority to do this and go out and ch- chase some random person. Everything about it is fucked, and I, you know, it's so fucked. Maybe that's why the chief of police down there just said, you know, this is horrible, and they were immediately charged with murder. You know, so it, we, we went from. You know, police in one area held on to dash cam footage for a year and tried to protect a murderer to another police department who saw this and, you know, just said, these guys are killers, book them. And they have been. And like I said, one of them was a lieutenant. It's just, I mean, Jesus. It's bad enough you kill a guy's kid and put him in critical condition. I don't know what his status is since... since when did this happen? This happened in the beginning of November. So I hope the guy's still all right. I haven't followed up. Jesus, I mean, fucking psychopaths. Uh, now here's one where. Oh, and here's the link to that. And here's one where you know this is. I guess you'd almost have to consider this a good story because nobody got nobody got shot, but. This is a story about cops raided, I mean, guns drawn, barging into a, what's basically a senior citizen home, and arrested four women aged between 87 and 95 for playing Mahjong. Now, yes, do the, do the old ladies uh, gamble on Marj- Mahjong? Yes, they do. But they even have in... Uh, this is in Florida, there's there's a rule about gambling for like home games, you know, Mahjong and poker and stuff like that, where it's not illegal as long as it's what's considered a penny-ante game. And a penny-ante game is defined that in, in any round, I guess, I can't believe they go through the to the, the, the to put this into the law, but they did, any game where the total amount that can be won in a hand is like $10. And these ladies, they had a $4 cap, on any particular round. So they, were, uh, they weren't they were even breaking the law. They were actually legally playing Mahjong, even though it was for money. But it just begs the question, don't you have anything better to do with your time than to come and shut down a Mahjong game? I mean, really, there, there's really nothing else to do. I mean, if you really have absolutely nothing to do, just show up and... I don't know. Give them a warning or something. I don't know. Make a phone call. I don't know. There's really nothing better you have to do with your time than bust up an old lady Mahjong game. Come on. Come on, man. All right. Here's another one. then we'll get to our good, our really good cop, although that. We got good, two good cops. We got the Louisiana chief, and then we got another guy coming up. Here's here's another one. There's a woman. She's in court for something. I don't know what. And um, she pops some Tylenol, swallows it. Then the cop comes in and says, what are you taking? And she said, Tylenol. He said, spit it up. She said, I can't because she already swallowed them. He jumps on her, and this there's video of this. Jumps on her, and the, the first thing he does, I mean, the first thing could have been, well, let me see the bag. Let me see, or let me see the the bottle. And of course, she had a bottle with a prescription Tylenol, and she she had a legal prescription for it. Maybe look at the bottle first. No, first thing he does, jumps on her, pries her mouth open. There's nothing in her mouth because she's already swallowed the pills. But he's jamming his 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 entire hand in her mouth, trying to get a Tylenol out. <laughs> I mean why is it always the first thing is just to to, to use force? Why is it never just to talk, to investigate, to, to you know, no, it's just So, no charges were filed against her because she didn't she didn't have anything illegal. She had a prescription for everything she had on her. And of course the cops didn't get in trouble for it. All right, so let's um let's go to this is This is a great cop. Now, granted, he's retired, but he's a retired chief of police. And I've talked about this organization before, but I've never actually heard from the guy. This is an organization called Law Enforcement, L-E-A-P, I believe it's Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. So this is a group of either current or retired uh, law enforcement officers who are against drug prohibition, who are against the war on drugs, and want to see drugs legalized and i've never seen before a more compelling concise articulate account of why yes drugs are bad but the war on drugs is worse and who better to say this with any kind of credibility than a former chief of police i've never heard it deconstructed and broken down better than what you're about to hear now this is this is the holy grail of why we should end the the drug war. Listen to this. Possession
3: of drugs, but there really is a push now nationwide, uh, some calling for the legalization of drugs. And our guest, Peter Chris, is a former police captain. You are in favor of legalizing drugs. And some would be aghast to hear a former cop is actually saying, let's favor the legalization of drugs. Why do you think it should happen?
2: Okay, one thing real quick. I'm a retired police captain, so I spent 20 years and they send me a check every month. So I just (laughs) wanted to point that out. Uh, Yes, I'm one of the co-founders of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition and why we came together as an organization in 2002 is because we see the failure of the the policy of prohibition in our society. Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier today and they said, well, you think these gangsters will just become honest people if we legalize drugs? And my answer to them was no, the gangsters will stay gangsters, but most of the people that are involved in this illegal trade, you really wouldn't classify as gangsters. They're more like opportunists. To give you a quick example, Uh, In 1919, there was a homicide rate in this country. We instituted alcohol prohibition in 1920. The homicide rate in this country climbed every year until it peaked in 1933 when we legalized alcohol. And by 1937, the homicide rate in America was back down to the level it was at before alcohol prohibition started. And I want to point out one other thing about 1937. That was the deepest, darkest period of the depression in this country. So there was a lot of angry people, but they weren't killing themselves anymore because we took the product away that they were killing themselves over. Legalization of drugs is not about the drugs. It is about the gangsterism and terrorism that is supported by the illegal marketplace in this country.
3: So, I mean, where do you begin? Because some people just out of the gate are going, whoa, they're still trying to wrap their head around that a retired police captain wants drugs, very criminalized, now to be made legal. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs)
2: Well, I can understand that and it's because I think they think the issue is about the drugs and as I said before it isn't It's about the crime and violence. Law enforcement was designed by a guy by the name of Robert Peel Over in London, England in the early 1800s That's why they call them bobbies, by the way Robert Peel and he designed an organization of law enforcement that would protect people from other people doing them harm When you institute a prohibition like we have with drugs in this country, what you are doing is not protecting people from other people. You are attempting to use law enforcement to protect people from themselves. Protecting you from yourself is a function of family, church, education, and the healthcare system. It never is and never should have been intended to be a law enforcement function. We are out there enforcing morality when we enforce drug laws, and that is not our job. We were not trained to do it. We are not capable of doing it. And if anything else, you see the failure of it. We've been doing this for over 40 years since Nixon kicked it off, and the drugs are more available pure quality, and cheaper than they've ever been before on the streets of America. And we've had 40,000 deaths in Mexico in the last five years fighting over this drug trade. Plus, we've destroyed more lives than than the drugs have by incarcerating people and hanging felony convictions on them and denying them college educations, denying them jobs for no good reason. And one other thing I wanna point out, just in case people think that if we do it hard enough, this is actually gonna be doable to make drugs go away we have the largest prison system on the planet and I would like to point out one of the most efficient prison systems on the planet and in that huge prison system we do not have one drug-free prison in America and if you cannot keep drugs out of prison who is going to be delusional enough to think you can keep them out of a free society. Or a high school for that matter. Or a high school. <laughs> Peter, th- this is another classic um, argument uh, that- that's very much like Einstein's theory of insanity. You know, you can think you can do things the same way and get a different result. Uh, I think <laughs> President Nixon declared war on drugs over 30 years ago. How are we doing on that war? Well, we're losing. In fact, I, I speak to a lot of Rotary clubs, Quads clubs, Lions clubs, and I start out my presentation by asking them a question. And the question is, do you think we can win the war on drugs? Now, let's define what winning war means. We won the Second World War. We don't fight the Germans and the Italians and the Japanese every once in a while. The war is over, we won it, it's done. Okay, that's what one war was. So if we win the war on drugs, that means we've taken the word marijuana and heroin out of the dictionary because we've defeated the drugs, they're gone. And I ask people to raise their hands and nobody ever puts their hand up to think that's possible. So now let's change the discussion. If instead of talking about things like drug free and winning the war on drugs, we start saying things like drugs are always going to be in our society, they're always going to be here, which group of people do you want to run the marketplace? Do you want it run by gangsters, thugs, and terrorists who have 13-year-old children selling drugs on street corners, or do you think that maybe a licensed, regulated marketplace where we can set age limits and distribution points and control purity of drugs is a better system? Call me crazy, but I'm not a prohibitionist. I think that a better system is a regulated and controlled marketplace, and don't misunderstand me. I am not implying that if we legalize drugs, that is going to solve our alcohol problem. Just like when we legalized alcohol in 1933, that didn't solve our alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. All right, this isn't going to solve our drug problem. We have to deal with our drug problem as an educational and a healthcare issue. So as well, long, la-
3: you- well, let, wait. My question would be then. You know, some would say I'm sure some of the people at the Rotary clubs. By the way, I would like to go to the next time that you speak to them because I would love to see their faces when you start your opening pitch. If you're legalizing drugs, doesn't that promote more usage?
2: I don't know, does it? How many people do you think in America are not using cocaine because they can't get it? Oh, every single person that wants to
3: get it is going to get it. Acquiring the
2: drug is not what makes people decide to use it. It's all All about demand and supply, right, Peter? As long as there's a demand... There's going to be a supply. That's just the entrepreneurial spirit of capitalism. I suspect.
3: So we're saying we're going to take this down to its most minute point and say, just like a pack of cigarettes, if you choose not to smoke, you're not going to do heroin. You're not going to do cocaine.
2: Well, if heroin was legalized, would you go out tomorrow and do heroin? No, of course not. Of course because not. I know what the effects
3: are. So, of that's course a, not. If not. If you, you wanted
2: heroin, you can get it today, just about anywhere for sure. in the city. Well, we that, well it's interesting when you mention right tobacco. Now. It's interesting when you mention tobacco, because one of the comments I get from people all the time is if we legalize drugs, what kind of a message does that send to our children? It's condoning, it's saying the drugs are really okay. Well, I like to use tobacco. And if you ask any tobacco smoker who's been smoking more than 20 years, if they ever felt condoned in this society, they'll tell you, oh yeah, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I felt absolutely condoned. Every place I walked into, there was an ashtray, I could smoke on an airplane all the way from New York to Los Angeles. You ask cigarette smokers today if they feel condoned and they'll tell you no. They feel barely tolerated by the rest of society. And let's also point out another victory. We have gotten 50% of the adult cigarette smokers to quit smoking in the last 10 years without banning one cigarette, without burning or poisoning one tobacco field, just by simply making it less easy for people to smoke and also by talking against it and pointing out the errors of it. That's the things that work. You know, the drug czar said the other day at a press conference, And I wish, if you're ever at this press conference, because you people are in the news, you would ask the question that I always want to ask. He said that this drug issue in America is fundamentally a health care and an educational problem. And nobody asked him, what other health care and educational problems do you think we should use the criminal justice system as our main approach to? Hmm. Because I can't think of any.
3: Peter, we're going to take a quick break. Stay right there. Uh, It is a group called LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Peter Christ is here uh, and we've been talking about how alcohol prohibition uh, led to homicide rates increasing so you say do away with all the laws and rules and regulations again you can drink alcohol out in public i don't know if i would want to see someone shooting up you know some heroin next to me somewhere. That's where I'm thinking, you know what I'm saying? How do you combat that? I don't think
2: that would happen, but I think this is a multi-billion dollar illegal industry that's taking place right now here in America.
3: But how do you combat those? I mean, because those would be the issues face. Well, you,
2: you set regulations. We are setting different regulations than we have ever had in this country for tobacco use. We are now preventing people from smoking in the park in some places, from smoking on the street. We don't allow people to walk down Main Street unless they change the laws since I retired, but it used to be illegal to walk down drinking a can of beer. You couldn't do that. So those are things we have to do. You know, I just want to remind you, in 1933, when we legalized alcohol, the federal government didn't legalize alcohol and set up a whole regulatory system for the country for alcohol. They basically got out of the prohibition business and said to the states, regulate it any way you want to. Uh, Mississippi didn't end their alcohol prohibition until around 1970, okay, they still, it was still prohibited. You still have dry counties in you some area. Those are local things to do. What we're trying to do is get the federal government out of the prohibition business and let the law enforcement go back to doing what they're supposed to be doing and that's protecting people from each other. You know, 20 years of police work, working in the town of Tonawana community, of about 80,000 people, I remember two incidents. One was a father who found out that his son had committed a rape and he turned his son into the police for that rape. Another one was a mother who found out that her son was committing burglaries, and she turned her son in for committing burglaries. Not once in 20 years did a parent ever turn their child in for drugs. Not once. And I can't believe that out of 80,000 people, some mother or father didn't find in the sock drawer a little baggie with something in it. But when it was their child, the last thought in the world was to turn this over to the police. They found other ways to deal with that problem. And we as a society should find other ways. We have a five, 450,000 deaths a year. It used to be, it's probably down a little bit due to tobacco, 150,000 deaths a year due to alcohol. Now my question is when you look at the all the illegal drugs and you only have 30,000 deaths a year from all illegal drugs combined, the question is, if prohibition is such a good idea, why don't we bring back alcohol prohibition and prohibit tobacco? If it's a good idea, let's do it with all the things we don't like. And the reality is, when I say that to people, they look at me and say, well, that doesn't work. And that's absolutely right. Prohibition doesn't work.
4: Lydia has a question for you. Mr Chris, we've gotten a lot of feedback in from a lot of I am viewers. Sure we have. I, I can't imagine watching what you have to say <laughs> and not and people not writing in about it. Uh, Bud wrote in there are places in Asia that have no drugs. They execute people who sell, use, or manufacture drugs. Extreme but effective. Um we have one more comment. Well we have several comments, but this one I'm going to read. Um, just from the legalization and taxation of marijuana in the smoking form only, not paper, clothing, fuels, etc., the profit after savings from anti-marijuana propaganda, courts and prosecution, as well as regulation in the U.S. as a whole, would profit in upwards of $42 million annually. Can you speak to that?
2: Well, absolutely. That's what we're talking about. We, we are spending $70 billion a year in this country trying to win this drug war. We could revert that. TO USING THAT IN OUR PRISON SYSTEMS, IN THE TREATMENT COMMUNITY. WE CAN SPEND THAT MONEY OTHER WAYS. Plus, IF WE LEGALIZE IT, I'M SURE WE'RE GOING TO TAX IT. IN AMERICA, WE'RE NOT GOING TO TAX IT. OF COURSE WE'RE GOING TO TAX IT. WE'RE GOING TO GENERATE INCOME FROM IT. PLUS WE'LL CREATE JOBS. PLUS WE'LL BRING THE HEMP. Industry back which was also outlawed in the 1930s when they outlawed marijuana and the hemp industry is a very strong Industry and when you mention other countries I had a guy come up to me after a rotary meeting a couple of years ago when he said to me Well, you know what they do in Saudi Arabia if they catch you with drugs And I said yeah, and they take you down to the town square and they chop your head off and he said smugly Yeah, that's right and I answered him with two answers one was Call me crazy, but when I think of countries, I want America to be more like uh, Saudi Arabia is not one of the first ones that pops into my head. (laughs) And two, you know what they do every year in Saudi Arabia when they catch people with drugs? They take them down to the town square and they chop their head off. And you know why they do it every year? Because it doesn't work. If it worked, the rest of the people see that head rolling through the courtyard, that would be the end of the drug problem. But even that doesn't work. People choose to do this. The first attempt at prohibition that we have any historical record of started with these words. Do not eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Whoa. <laughs> It we're, was in the garden. Pretty it was in the garden there. of now, Eden, and the, reason why it didn't, time. and the reason why it didn't work is told you in Genesis, and it's because the Creator, after creating the two people, granted them free will, Lydia, and that's what we're trying
4: to outlaw. Lydia has one more quick question before we go to the break. I didn't on that one, but that's okay. Pete wrote in. He said, "How much tax revenue would this actually generate if it was legalized? People would grow their own. Presumably, employers would still be permitted to drug test employees, cutting down job opportunities for those who take advantage of this. The police would need to." acquire equipment to, d- to determine if drivers were under the influence of pot when pulled over. There's also the issue of secondhand smoke. It can make those around you high. Can you speak to that quickly? We don't have much time.
2: Well, there's a bunch of stuff there, but obviously we have we have driving while intoxicated by drug laws now, so that's not a problem. We have the secondhand smoke thing. We're dealing with that with tobacco by regulating where people could use it and so on and so forth, so that's not the problem. What was the first one you said on there?
4: Uh, if it was legalized, people could uh, grow their own and employers would still that's have to That's right. And I
2: know that everybody listening to me today, after they get done watching this show will go outside and tend their tomato garden, right? You can grow your own tomatoes. You don't have to buy them from anybody. But you know what? The vast majority of us don't want to do that. So we'd much rather buy them at the store. Let's be honest about this. You can make your own alcohol too. Very few people do it. That is not the situation. This will create an economy. It will get law enforcement out of this work. And let us focus on pedophiles people that are robbing from people people that are harming other people instead of going after people that are doing what they choose to do
3: peter chris law enforcement against prohibition wow thanks so much for coming on two sides we will definitely have you back that's for sure
0: absolutely uh i can't believe that was 15 minutes it just goes it went by so fast because i mean every he's just like a machine gun with one point after the next just that's the best that's the best defense or, or the, be, the best case against drug prohibition that I've ever heard, and who better to tell the story than a former police captain? Great stuff. Um, I saw in the chat while we were listening to that um, a great link that uh, Stereo Dreamer uh, posted, which I will now include in the replay notes. Uh, and this is a story I, I saw and I neglected to include it in the show, but thanks to thanks to Stereo Dreamer, it's in there now. The story about in you, the police in the United States have seized more from citizens through asset forfeiture in the year 2014 than U.S. criminals stole through burglary. It's a crazy but true story about how you, on you know, statistically speaking, you have more to fear from a cop taking your property than a burglar. It's true, and civil asset forfeiture. I mean, at least. You know, you've got a better chance of getting your stuff back from a robber than you do from a cop, because when when the cops take your stuff, they don't need reasonable suspicion. They don't need probable cause. They just need to say that we think that this money has been used in some kind of illegal activity. They don't have to have any evidence at all. And then what you as a citizen have to do is it's not it, you are not presumed to be guilty. Your money you have to prove that your money didn't do anything wrong. It's crazy, but that's the way it works. And, of course, this all started, you know, after 9 and they wanted to just be able to, to quickly seize assets from terrorists. They haven't used it at all for that. You know, maybe one or two guys that we already had, but, no, they're using it against people driving from casinos with, you know, they had a good day, and they won ten grand at the casino. They just take the money and it's almost impossible to get it back if you you know there's stories where you know people had 10 grand seized they had to spend 7 grand to get it back so they they, they still you know they still lost $7000 even though they got the money back uh and it's uh it's it's a plague it really is a plague because the, the the police department they make so much money all they have to do is take the money and 9 times out of 10 they're going to keep all of it because people don't have the time or the resources to fight to get it back no probable cause no reasonable articulable suspicion. Just, there's a bag of cash and I'm taking it. They did over, the, this kid was traveling cross country. You know, stupid to carry that much cash, but he's traveling cross country. He's going to use the cash to make a business. It, it, there's more stories than I've time to cover. There's more stories on this than there are stories on people actually robbing other people. It's That is to the level of epidemic, that is the level of epidemic we're at. Thank you for sharing that story, Stereo Dreamer. Here's a really odd one. You know, college campuses have changed quite a bit since I was, when did I get out of school? 1999, so 16 years ago. I mean, it was kind of crazy then. I got got swept up with the radical left shit. I I was swept right up with it. But it's nothing compared to what's going on today. I don't think anything that I've seen lately, even with all these, pardon me. What's in the news, Robin? Uh, I don't think anything. Even that I've seen today, with all of these protests and Yale and and all these other colleges, they're going crazy over Halloween costumes and God knows what else. I mean, it's a crazy thing. But this really kind of drove it home for me. There is a okay. Now back when I was in school, there was a uh, you know a group called the LGBT Student Union or whatever, you know, which was a uh, Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Now they've got, now this, this college campus has the LGBTQIA+. I didn't bother to look it up, but it's just, things have changed, man. Anyway, um, this group, actually what they did was, there's this new movie that came out. It's called Stonewall. Stonewall uh, the the movie is referring to some riots that happened in New York um, in the late sixties, I believe, in nineteen sixty nine, where you know you had cops basically just any any gay bar, and I mean I'm not even talking about they they weren't they, they weren't even doing anything illegal in there they were just they would just storm gay bars and beat the shit out of everybody. It was really a horrible horrible time where you know being gay could get you just just being gay we'll Get you thrown in jail in New York City, and there were there was a, an, an uprising against it, and uh, was really probably could be pinpointed as the start of the gay of, of any kind of an organized gay rights movement in America or the Stonewall Riots. So, this movie, this Stonewall movie, um, you know, in certain respects fictionalizes it somewhat, but but you know, captures this period of time in America where the gay rights movement was born. Um, There is nobody who disputes that this movie is a pro-gay rights movie. The guy who made the movie is a gay man who has been involved his entire life with with gay rights. I mean, this guy is one of the founding fathers, so to speak. So, this LGBTQIA plus group on this campus in uh, Colorado, led this protest that led to this movie not being allowed to be shown on campus. That's right, the gay, the gay, I, well, the, whatever that is, the 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 gay rights group, I guess, that they have. Their mission, which at least initially they succeeded in. I don't know if it ever showed or not, but initially they were able to to get this now why on earth why would you as a pro gay rights group want to shut down the showing of a pro gay rights movie? The film explores the Stonewall, I'm reading from the article. The film explores the Stonewall riots, a violent clash in New York City that launched the modern movement for lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender rights. Students on campus accused the film of whitewashing history, replacing key black transgender characters with white gay men. A group of concerned citizens called for a boycott of the screening and created a group, Radicals Against Institutional Damage, RAID, and the group sent a letter signed signed by nine to key administration officials on campus expressing their views. This film, quote, this film was discursively violent, wrote the activists. In a world where cisgender, okay, I had to look that up, uh, cisgender means if you are born male and choose to remain male, or if you are born female and choose to remain female. They have a word for this, which I now understand is cisgender. I don't really understand why you need a word for that. I would just say men or women, but they have a special word. Okay. In a world where cisgender white gay people have finally achieved marriage equality and many see the struggle as being over, it is reinforcing a hierarchy of oppression to invent someone who never existed and place them in a historically based film with the express purpose of ...of silencing more marginalized groups. Um, The group that wanted to put the film on display, the Film and Media Studies Department, argued that their decision to screen the film does not condone its content. Rather, it is an attempt to engage with the executive producer and possibly an opportunity to question some of the decisions made in the film's representation of minorities. Uh, quote for me as a scholar and queer person engaging with my environment, it is essential to analyze and critique these representations in order to draw attention to what is at stake for queer folks and to engage with the stories that are being told and held as representative in mass media," said Spanish and Portuguese pr- professor Naomi Wood. Now, what she's saying is, they actually the the guy who made the, the executive producer of the film was going to be there, so you could just sit there and directly interact with him and say, hey, what about these people who were important in the movement who were not included in your film? And you could ask him, and he could answer you directly in person. This was your opportunity. No. Ban the film. Others argue that this critical discussion, justification, is a front. Critical discussion is simply a way of engaging in responsibility politics, said first-year Amelia Escañi. I think Colorado College should cancel the screening because the safety and well-being of queer and trans students surpasses the importance of a critical discussion. Raid questions the legitimacy and effectiveness of any critical discussion following the film. Quote, inevitably, some students will have the burden of informing other students as well as staff and faculty about the problematic aspects of the film, Raid wrote. The conversation will yet again put queer students in the position of having to teach to justify the validity of our feelings, which is emotionally draining, difficult, and frankly, not our job. The burden of informing others. Don't you get it? Like, this is, you know, it's not like a top-ten Hollywood blockbuster, but this is a movie that had real money behind it and was showing in a lot of theaters, you know? People are going to see it. Now, here, at least, you have the opportunity to express your concerns about the movie, and there are some that are legitimate, at least from a historical perspective. It is not objectively and purely historically accurate. I agree with that. But now you have this opportunity... To engage with the guy who made the movie in front of people who don't under, who don't know these issues as well as you do. And now you have an opportunity to open a dialogue about this and use your voice to educate others. No, this is a burden. This is a burden trying to educate. Just shut it down. Just shut it down so people won't see it. So you don't have the burden of explaining some of the things that you know. I mean, what, what, what? This is like ridiculous mollycoddling, and this argument. What, what do they say? Um, they should cancel the the screening because the safety and well being of queer and trans students surpasses the. What, where is the? How is the safety of queer and trans students? How is it? How is there, this environment being made more unsafe? by airing an objectively pro gay rights film problems and issues and inconsistencies of the film notwithstanding it is objectively and no one would argue that it is not a pro gay rights how does that make things less safe and how does that you can't even justify any kind of argument that would that would that would convince any thinking person that it does make them less safe. Even even if you could make some, how does that surpass the importance of a critical discussion? It doesn't. Um, the administration responded. The film and media studies department did not anticipate the backlash that would emerge against the film, as it had been selected before the critiques of the film had really uh, had really to gain salience culturally," said an anonymous source. They continue, the administration was caught unprepared as the issue came to pit the college's desire to open this course on campus with its commitment to traditionally marginalized students. Its collective decision was to continue to show the film on campus, but to create safe space for critical discussion of the film and student protest. Um, They gave, they made a a date where people could have an opportunity to voice their opinion. Um, We hope that understanding would be re- would replace the expressed confusion and hurt um, a variety of opinions were, were voiced uh, by showing the film but by showing the movie on campus we're accepting an inaccurate portrayal of the Stonewall riots and creating a space of oppression for queer and trans campus students um, if they're really dedicated to diversity and inclusion they would have never agreed to film to screen a film. That queer students have repeatedly stated is a threat to our identity and our safety. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on this. Basically, they—I don't know if they ever ended up showing it, but they—they they did shut it down. They—they they, they postponed it indefinitely. Whether or not it was ever shown, I don't know. But can you imagine? I mean, that's the point. That, thats the point. Like anything you say, even if. It is overwhelmingly supportive of your goals unless it's exactly what they want. They want it shut down. And they're successful in doing so. I got to wonder, what is going to happen when these, you know, a certain percentage of them will go down the road of spending their life in academia where they can live in this world for the rest of their life. But that will only be a small percentage. The rest of them have to go out to the real world. And can you imagine what life is going to be like for people who are able to get every whim of anything that can be... Any disagreement, basically they've made a world, a temporary world in college, where anything that is allowed to be in the public space that in any way offends them or disagrees with their stance that they are now able to shut that down. It doesn't work like that in the real world. The First Amendment actually works. doesn't work on college campuses anymore, but it certainly works in the real world. And they will be powerless to stop any of this. Can you imagine how difficult their life is going to be adjusting to this? It's going to be impossible. Here's another... Uh, Oh, so here's a student being logical. I'm concerned about some of the words that are being used to describe the Stonewall screening. Words like abuse do not line up in my mind with a film screening, said junior uh, Lydia Ballantine. I'm currently studying abroad in Senegal, a country where homosexuality is illegal and punishable by imprisonment. Abuse here means gay men having their fingernails pulled out, lesbians being correctively raped to make them straight or LGBT individuals being forced to leave the country. She continues, Abuse occurs in the U.S. as well, in the form of trans women being murdered or intimate partner violence, but not in the form of a controversial film being shown on a college campus, even if the film misrepresents and whitewashes history. Using the same word to describe things that are worlds apart minimizes the real violence and abuse which many gay people still live with. Anyway, that's some good logic. You know, this this reminds me of something else. All these protesters that you see today on these college campuses, and they have a variety of issues, many of which I agree with. They, they, they want more, you know, gay rights, minority rights, you know, Black Lives Matter, all that stuff. Um, you know, there's some good stuff in there, right? It's interesting that You know, these people that are so, so involved in, for example, feminism and and protecting women's rights and all this, you know, they're, they're all about, you know, this rape culture that supposedly exists on college campuses. Okay, fine. If there is such a thing, we don't want it. No, but who who wants rape? Only rapists. Everyone else doesn't, you know, We, we, I think we're all in agreement that rapists should be brought to justice and all that, right? But what's the one group they never go against none of these groups, you will ever see criticizing the real damage that's being done to women in radically Is- Islamic countries. You will never see them speaking out against the violence of, of women in Saudi Arabia, all you know, countries that still have female genital mutilation. Countries where, you know, all a man has to do to, to divorce his wife is say, I divorce you three times and the, and women can legally be beaten by their husbands. This is real abuse against women and they never talk about it. Never, ever, ever. They've got films, there's there's these films on YouTube where they got, you know, men and women, they go to these things where they're talking about abuse against women and they're, you know, they're showing probably in some cases very legitimate cases of things happening in this country or other Western nations. And they asked them, you know, do you have any information about what you guys are doing to help women who are raped and beaten and abused in Islamic countries? You'll never see a pamphlet. You'll never see. It's not discussed in any way, shape, or form. It's a ridiculous hypocrisy that in the cases of the worst abuse, they have nothing to say. They don't like Israel, and I'm not saying there are some things being done, but you'll see all sorts of stuff about Israel. What about Saudi Arabia? What about, as this woman brought up, Senegal, Pakistan, Japan, for fuck's sake? There's so much groping on the subways, there's women-only subways. This they don't talk about. Wow, I spent a lot more time on that one than I expected. Oh, here's the uh here's the story. Here you go. <clears throat> uh and finally, I suppose finally here is just the man getting a parking ticket who ends up getting tased. You know, the funny thing is if the you know, when you get a parking ticket, you know, basically, what happens? You take the ticket, you write it, where the cop takes the ticket, writes it, and puts it onto the windshield wiper. Just so happens, the guy was, I don't know, he was parked illegally outside of where he was working. I, I don't know what the you can read the details if you're interested. And he just came out to say, oh, you know, what's going on? I can move my car. And then the cop starts going, you know, no, give me your ID. and You know, put your hands behind your back out of nowhere. This is a parking ticket. And the guy's like, I'm working over here. I can't, and boom, taser, down. Parking ticket. How does parking ticket and taser appear in the same sentence? Well, there it is in the same headline. What I will leave you with now, hmm, I gotta get it. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. I gotta, I gotta go get this. What, what I do every week, because basically I, I, I win every week except that one. I make these, these gifs. You know those animated gifs. I make animated gifs of, of me, ridiculing my opponent in, uh, in fantasy football. And I think you'll really like the latest one I've made. Let me just go. We'll, we'll start after hours. Let me go fetch it. I'm really proud of this. And um, it's just a, a ridiculous, silly waste of time. But this is what I do on Sundays. I make animated GIFs.